You know that teenagers can't the living shit out of me. They could care less as long as I wanna bleed. So dark in your clothes and strike a violent pose. You better leave it alone, I mean. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Are we live? I think we're live. Hey, everybody, how's it going? If you're here live in the chat, let me know. Get this puppy started. Let's see. Where are we? What day is today? Okay. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening to Comic Book Herald Live. I've already said that. Still Dave Busing, still founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining. We've got breaking news today. we got new comics to talk about. I was breaking news left and or right last weekend at New York Comic Con going to talk about that. Had some big news drops with Marvel's relaunched Ultimate Universe that I'm pretty excited about. Also broke news about the upcoming 2024 event. And then we also got, frankly, a lot of information about uh, Rise and Fall of the House and the Powers of X and kind of the timing. And and then per Kieran Gillen's newsletter, um, who's leaving? Who's leaving X-Men? Okay, so we're going to talk about all that. We'll kick off with some news, and then we'll talk a little bit about comics today. Really, there's one one great comic today from a great miniseries, and that is Children of the Vault. I'm happy yet again to be fully correct in predicting that Children of the Vault would be excellent. Uh, it is. This miniseries is awesome. It is the best cable book of the Krakoa era. It is the best bishop book of the Krakoa era, and it is also... Ooh, is it the best Children of the Vault content? Maybe not, actually, because Hickman did do a good two-part Children of the Vault. Uh, but this miniseries rules. It is is definitely up there with my faves of the miniseries. I don't think it's quite as good as the Vault's first Sabretooth five-issue mini, um, but it's it's in that conversation, and it is, I mean, like uh, outside of Immortal and X-Men Red. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely got to be the best of of the fall of x the fall which is still happening so let's talk news let's go in order here what do you want to talk first should we talk x-men because that's what you're all here for should we talk let let's save that let's start with the ultimate universe as i broke on Popverse last weekend i was uh i was asked to aid in an editorial capacity for Popverse's coverage of new york comic-con I was able to do this as the man in the chair, uh, so I was able to do this from home. Thank goodness, because everyone who left New York Comic Con left sick, <laughs> and uh, I shouldn't be laughing at that. It sucks. Uh, it, speedy recovery wished upon everyone who left. Now, having had COVID recently myself, um, maybe I would have been super immunized or whatever, and uh, and actually been fine. But either way, that's the point. I, I live in the Chicago area. I'm not traveling to New York for for anything. Um, so they, uh, they had me cover editorially, um, breaking news. So what that meant was for the first time in my life, I got to see Marvel embargoed news before it was released. It was very exciting. It took all of my strength not to share that, um, publicly or privately, 
with anyone prior to the actual announcements on Saturday. So I got the news, the embargo stuff on Friday, and I wrote up some pieces about the launch of Ultimate Black Panther. It's going to be Brian Edward Hill and Stefano Caselli doing an Ultimate Black Panther series, which is going to join Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto's Ultimate Spider-Man as two of the first three Ultimate Universe books to launch in 2024. And the third book, and this one knocked my socks off, is Ultimate X-Men by Peach Momoko. Did not see that coming at all. A truly inspired casting decision. Uh, I, I am like really surprised and excited and just intrigued by what that could be. It gave me that that decision alone to have Peach doing Ultimate X-Men as the writer and artist and and just kind of the the idiosyncratic sort of creator-owned feel that that gives the title inherently out of the gates um, feels like a real risk-taking maneuver I did not expect for Marvel in basically any any capacity. Um, and, uh, and it's super cool. I'm really interested. I'm not like a huge... Like, like Demon Days is gorgeous. Um, Momoko's cover work is gorgeous. I, the Demon Day saga, I found, you know, kind of interesting as its own unique beat. It didn't, it didn't like fully pull me in where I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorite Marvel things. Um, that said, I appreciate it being a specific, again, kind of has a creator own feel of a vision of like an Elseworlds within Marvel. I'm really interested what, what Peach Momoko is going to do with an ultimate X-Men property, um, armor seems to be the lead, at least in the first issue. And then, uh, and then who knows where it could go from there, you know, in the process of, of needing to write this breaking news that I broke personally <laughs> for Popverse, um, I, I revisited ultimate invasion and, uh, you know, cause I wanted to, I was like, okay, I should brush up on where, where did Hickman and Hitch actually leave things here? You know, ultimate invasion number one or ultimate universe number one is still to come, but Ultimate Invasion, the four-issue miniseries, um, you know, I, I found it very underwhelming. Um, I, I thought for the hype, for the creative team, for the expectation of building towards an Ultimate Universe, it did not instill in me the excitement that these announcements did, actually. Uh, I, I feel like we're in a much better place now as far as like, oh, I actually like where this is going. And I will say revisiting Ultimate Invasion, I it definitely grew on me a little bit. A little bit like there is a there's a strangeness to the approach of this launch but there's also a complexity of continuity already <laughs> pre-launch that sort of sort of suggests that this ultimate universe kind of it kind of can't do what the original one did and i think that's actually a great thing it can't do the thing that the original did which was which purely we are relaunching Marvel, but modern. We are modernizing our Marvel properties for the 2000s, right? So you have literally in the year 2000, Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley launching a teen Spider-Man in the world of 2000. You have Mark Miller and Andy Kubert relaunching a world of mutants in Ultimate X-Men in the year 2000. And then very quickly, you know, Ultimates and Ultimate X-Men very much get caught up in the post 9-11 American experience of, of the world of terror and kind of what that looked like and reflecting the 2000s, right? Um, that isn't to say that the Ultimate books released in 2024 can't, 
address and, and modernize in their way as well and react to, okay, what does the world look like now? But it, it is also just like, it's not going to be the, oh, we're redoing the Peter Parker gets a spider bite story and he's a high schooler again and we're redoing that, but now 25 years later. Like, it's not going to be that and it can't be that and it shouldn't be that because we've seen that. And it, Bendis and Bagley did it about as well as you can. About as well as you can, considering it was done as well as you can <laughs> in 1963 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, right? And their creative collaborators. So it's it doesn't need to be done again. That's great. Hickman is on record, I think, at this panel as saying he's kind of aiming for what he described as a Peter B. Parker scenario. So maybe more of a middle-aged Spider-Man, whether that means literally a middle-aged Peter Parker, we will see in Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, but I'm I'm really optimistic, actually, about what can happen now in the Ultimate Universe. I mean, I think including Ultimate Black Panther as a launch book is an absolute no-brainer. I'm glad they committed to it. Um, if you're going to reflect the most important and most interesting stuff in the Marvel Universe right now in 2024, you cannot ignore the absolute cultural explosion that Black Panther manifested, you know, in 2018, 2019, right? Um, that has to be, and Ultimate Black Panther has never had, Marvel has never had an Ultimate Black Panther title. If you've read The Ultimate Universe, which if you followed along with my Ultimate Year, you did along with us on the pod, um, Black Panther is like one of the most underutilized, disrespected characters in the entire Ultimate Universe. And there is plenty of disrespect to go around <laughs> in the Ultimate Universe, but like Black Panther gets nothing, absolutely nothing. So I was very glad to see that there will be a title. I would be lying if I said I wasn't tentative or, or you know, hesitant about, like, listen, I like Brian Hill, I think. Um, read some works of theirs that I've enjoyed. Uh, Fallen Angels, <laughs> I was pretty hard on <laughs> as a as the Dawn of X book that just totally missed what everything else was doing. You know, the Dawn of X books that did not get the memo, you know, about about the aims of the series. Um, so I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't have reservations. I've got reservations, right? Yankee Hills of Foxtrot. Um, so a little nervous about Ultimate Black Panther, but uh, but I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's there. So we're going to have a January launch of Ultimate Spider-Man, February launch of Ultimate Black Panther, and a March launch of Ultimate X-Men. This should be the place where creators get to take chances. This should be the place where creators get to get weird, do different stuff, have unique takes, fail. Like have some books that don't work, fine, but take a swing every single time. Uh, I hope to see that for the Ultimate Universe. Hope to see it. Uh, listen, I listen. Fallen Angels was bad. I'm seeing in the comments people are like, oh, no, it's the same person. Oh, no. I'm still 100% giving Ultimate Black Panther a chance. I, Fallen Angels was a mess and was very disappointing. I actually don't think it's as much the writer's fault as I probably felt, you know, four years ago. I think there was a real failing of editorial to support them. To, to give them the memo <laughs> of like, no, here's where this character's at now. And here's the game everyone else is playing. You know, I think the behind the scenes of that was like they were writing this 
you know, in a different window and didn't have all the same information. So I'm not going to make a million excuses about it. It's a book that I don't think was good. It was published as such. Um, but I'm not willing to hold that and be like, you know, I will never read a Brian Hill comic. Absolutely not. I hope Ultimate Black Panther is awesome. And I have every reason to believe it could be. Every reason to believe it could be. So there you go. That's the news that I broke on the Ultimate Universe. You're probably hearing it here first on CBH Live a full week later. Um, the other the other piece that I broke was, so this was the most fun. So Marvel gives their embargoed email to the sites and, and people that they trust, which has never been comic herald. <laughs> but because I'm working with Poppers, they get it, and they send me the embargo thing to write up the news. And for Ultimate X-Men, it's like, you know, Peach Momoko is going to be writing it. Um, for Ultimate Black Panther, it gives us the creative team. And obviously I have, you know, I have knowledge of Ultimate Universe and stuff like that and Ultimate Invasion. So I can write those, no problem. Uh, their event, their 2024 event, here's what Marvel gave us. They said it's going to be called Blood Hunt. The tagline is who will bite it. And the creative team is Jed McKay, Pepe Larraz, and Marta Gracia. That's what I got. No solicit information, nothing, no images, nothing about the specifics of what that might entail in any capacity. So my first reaction to that as a fan is, of course, Jet McKay's great. Love their writing, even though last week I talked about how I don't think Avengers is really pulling it off right now. But, you know, it's going to be, it's a McKay thing, right? So it's going to be McKay Universe stuff, Avengers, Doctor Strange, Moon Knight. Okay. Moon Knight's been excellent. Doctor Strange is actually quite good. I went back and I started reading that again after we were talking Avengers last week. And uh, I do I do enjoy McKay's Doctor Strange. So, okay, we got that. We got Pepe Larraz and Marty Gracia, the artistic powerhouse team of, of House of X and X-Men doing an event called Blood Hunt. That is unexpected. It's also weird. We got... The return, the fall of the House of X, and we got R.B. Silva back on the rise of the powers of ten, and Marvel got Pepe and Marte back, but not to do the House of X finale to do Blood Hunt. What? What? What happened there? That was seriously unexpected. Nonetheless, that says to me Blood Hunt is going to look effing amazing, and it signifies a like a weird importance. To the event. So anyway, long story short, that's all we had. But based on the fact that it's called Blood Hunt, that and uh, and the tagline is "Who will bite it?" I was like, I bet this is a vampire thing. Um, obviously, in Moon Knight, there's been vampire-related activities in McKay's run. Uh, Doctor Strange historically has ties to Dracula and the like. Uh, so that was my guess, and then that was borne out the next day when Marvel did release a trailer, and it's going to be all-out vampire war. I'm I'm pretty curious. Uh, if this will like, because there's been a lot of vampire threads and a lot of Dracula threads put out there uh, in Ben Percy's Wolverine, in Jason Aaron's Avengers, and they've all just kind of been sitting there. Um, McKay's pretty good with continuity. He's not quite Al Ewing, but he's pretty good with it. So I'm I'm kind of hoping that he's going to like tie all that into one thing. Because I mean, certainly just on paper, if you're like Marvel's doing a vampire event, you know, my cynical brain just goes straight to, oh, so they saw that uh, that DC versus Vampires is doing well, and they're just going to chase that, right? Matt Rosenberg, James Tynion, I forget who's on that artistically. Um, but, like, you know, it's like, okay, they're just chasing a thing. This is not especially unique. But you put McKay and LaRaz and Grassi on it, and, like, now I'm, like, kind of interested. 
like, I shouldn't be. <laughs> I should be pretty hesitant about this, but now I'm interested. I'm going to read Blood Hunt. Uh, so anyway, it'll look great. At a minimum, it'll it'll look super cool. Um, and if anyone can kind of pull those vampire ties together, it, you know, it's again, it's either going to be Ewing or it's going to be McKay. So uh, as the resurrection says here in the comments, it's Morbin time, baby. So that's a good point. It is Morbin time. What's what's Morbin up to in the Marvel Universe? I haven't seen Morbius in ages. Maybe just not in books I'm interested in. I did, uh, so I finally started playing the DLC for Midnight Suns a handful of weeks back, uh, mostly to get to Storm. Um, and, and Morbius was one of the characters there. And I gotta say, like, Midnight Suns is really fun. Uh, I know that, like, the game didn't seem to do tremendously well. Um, but the story they're doing is, like, a wild mashup of, like, Mephisto, Dracula, um, Morbius, uh, you got Venom involved, Storm. It's, like, it's fun stuff. Uh, I, I, I do enjoy, like, it's actually, like, pretty good video game narrative. Um, will it be better than Marvel Spider-Man 2, which is coming soon and has everyone just beyond hyped, including myself? Um, that might be my hottest take by year's end is, is in the Midnight Suns DLC had a better story than Marvel Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to float that hot take out there now and we'll see how that stands up by year's end. I highly doubt it. <laughs> I highly doubt it will hold up, but I want to own that corner if that corner is to be owned. Uh, I'm definitely I'm doing gonna gonna do the pre-order for Spidey too. When is that? Is that this? Is it this Friday that that game comes out? I think it's this weekend because I I I'm okay. Here's the thing. I have family plans, and I'm pr I'm trying to find a way to weasel out of them so that I can play more Marvel Spider-Man too. Um, is there any way I can pull it off without scarring my my children for life and? greatly upsetting my wife. No, there's not. Might I still do it? I, it depends how good Spider-Man 2 is. <laughs> we will see. No, I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably be playing it next weekend. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe ahead of next week's stream, we can talk a little Spidey 2 if it's, uh, if it's looking good. Okay. What else do we got on news? I think it's X-Men time. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts, by the way. We got the live chat going. A lot of people jumping in. So many people jumping in here. Too many to count, frankly. I couldn't even read that number in front of you. It's too big. Um, so get some get some comments, questions, thoughts, those sorts of things. I'm going to take a quick swig from our sponsor, honestly. You know, I think maybe more sips throughout the stream make you a little less, uh, a little less hacky by the end. <sighs> That's big water. Big Water is brought to you by your local uh, uh, refrigerator today. Uh, you, It's brought to you by sitting on your desk for several hours, um, getting warmer and warmer all the time. Sits directly underneath the heater, uh, so it's, it's really not cold or refreshing in any capacity. Thank you to Big Water for your continued support of Comic Book Herald. Much appreciated. Okay. Downtown Clowny Brown says, I think Morbius was last seen in Death of Venomverse. That is a book I did not read. So I believe it. I'm willing to believe that. Vass asked, I actually dropped a lot of titles because of Fall of X. Which titles would you recommend picking up? Um, if you dropped Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red, pick them back up. 
go all the way back, read all of them. They're still great. Uh, Children of the Vault is excellent. Third issue came out today. Uh, it rules, as I said at the front of this, best cable book, best Bishop book, best Fall of X miniseries. Um, doing everything you want from an X-Men book. It is playing with the characters and the sci-fi and the fantasy of it all. It is simultaneously weaving in relevant messages about what's going on in the world and how the fall of X status quo and Orcus's manipulation of information and how information control is poisoning minds globally. And then on top of all that, come on, this is, this is masterclass stuff. On top of all that, it is teasing what is to come in the rise of powers of X. And we can come back to that. We can come back to that. But those would be the three I think that I would I would recommend. I think Dark X-Men is kind of on the fence. I think as far as like the most mission critical heart of the universe stuff, that's going to be the Duggan verse of X-Men, Uncanny Avengers, and Invincible Iron Man. Um, to my tastes, those are, are much too meat and potatoes, uh, too standard for me, but those are definitely addressing kind of like the how we're how we're going to get from the Hellfire Gala and out of that to the next phase. Uh, that's where those answers are going to come. Okay. Oh, where do we start? Okay, the other thing that happened in your Comic-Con, I did not break this news. They, in fact, did not want coverage of this because <laughs> it was not news. But the fall of the House of X and the rise of the Powers of Ten will officially mark the end of the Kirk Cohen age. Uh, this was new language that was used in the trailer announcement of this event. It is coming at the start of 2024, too. Previously, we just knew it was sometime in 2024. Now we know the year is basically going to start with this. Um, every time every time I come on here and I try to calm people down and I'm like, no, like it's there's no confirmation that it's definitely the end. Marvel will literally post a trailer that says, this is the end. <laughs> like every single time I try to be like, well, there's some ambiguity. Maybe it's, maybe it's a trick. <laughs> they walk up and they're like, no tricks, none. This is the end. We're killing Krakoa. We're happy to do so. Um, like I, I tried y'all. I tried, I tried to give some, some hope, some ambiguity, some possibility. Listen, it's over. It's over. It's ending. Um, it is genuinely ending. Uh, Kieran Gillen, in his newsletter, uh, wrote, he'll be out of the X office. Actually, here's the quote from Kieran. I'll be out of the X office, and Marvel for that matter, by middle of next year. Enjoy the immortal X-Men and Rise of the Powers of Ten ride while you can, because it is going to be over before this time next year. Okay? Um that's a bummer. Even bigger bummer. I, I don't know why, because I, I kind of like them almost equally. But Karen also wrote Resurrection of Magneto because everyone needs to know where Al gets to complete his whole X saga. Now, I don't know if this has been confirmed or written about elsewhere, but that to me implies Al Ewing is also going to be done with X-Men after the Resurrection of Magneto. That one actually made me like, surprisingly sad. Obviously, it's been no secret that I love Ewing's sword 
and X-Men Red. I think the Ewing saga, the X-Men saga as a whole, is the best thing to come out of X-Men comics after House and Powers. Um, I wrote recently that that is going to be the run that X-Men fans five years from now are going to be telling everyone to read, is the Al Ewing saga. Uh, the implication that, you know, Resurrection of Magneto is in fact his ending as well, I kind of didn't see coming as clearly. Um, it's ending. It is. Uh, so if that's a bummer to you, I I do share that. <laughs> I don't, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been surprised by this. Uh, but when I read that, I was, I was actually um, kind of bummed out. I got to say, now I've, I've gone on record and I've said before, it's, it's a great thing that this Krakoan age, that this phase has an ending. Um, it's not a great thing that all the creators we like and, and all the work that was done might get totally for totally just like sealed off, like in a vacuum seal where it's like, well, here was the Cohen comics. Those are five years. And now we never touch that again. That sucks. <laughs> Do we know that's what's going to happen? I mean, still not really, but again, every time I come on here and, and I suggest that like, oh, it doesn't seem like that's, you know, there's no way they would do that. Or that seems less likely every time. Then the next announcement is like, yep, that's what we're doing. Uh, here's the vacuum seal we ordered. We have the receipts. <laughs> and I just, I look like an idiot every time over and over again. So like they're, I think when they say they're ending it, they tend, they probably mean they're, they're ending it. You know, the Occam's razor here is uh, they have said what they meant and it is not a trick. And it is, in fact, the end of the Krakow era. It is going to be the end of the Gillen era. It is going to be the end of the Ewing era by mid next year. Um, I mean, I, maybe, you know, when we get to the end of this, we can talk about this in more detail. But like Karen Gillen and, and Al Ewing, I mean, they really saved this franchise. They really saved the Krakow era. You know, um, it was it was on Rocky Waters with Hickman leaving. People were incredibly skeptical of of its ability to continue. You had a suggestion that like kind of just the creators who were already there are just going to they're going to be the ones who just carry this forward. And, and folks did not have a lot. Of, I didn't have a lot of confidence that that was a great idea. And uh, and then you had Gillen and Ewing come in and and rise to the occasion and write like two of the best X-Men books, you know, in, in years. Two awesome books that are still ongoing. So I'm I'm grateful for how good those comics are. You know, when all is said and done, they'll have done it for, you know, more than two plus years, which again is not, I mean, it's certainly by by modern Marvel standards, that's like pulling a full Claremont. You know, you get two years on a book, nobody gets that for anything hardly. So you know, it's uh, I think the Brevoort era and the transition is is really going to be a hard line in the sand transition. I don't think it's going to be a wishy-washy, like, Kriko is still over here and we're still playing with some of these ideas. I think it's really going to be a hard transition. And I think virtually everyone online is worried about that. I would guess that a significant portion of the comics buying public in local comic shops every Wednesday is going to be pretty excited about Uncanny X-Men number one set in New York in a mansion. 
I bet they're going to buy that book in droves. Is that a good thing narratively? Is that a good thing uh, uh, to want? No, <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, but but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, I, I shared, you know, kind of when this news, people were freaking out because the uh, the teaser that Mark Brooks has done for every era for the fall and, and rise era was um, it included the mansion in the background. And I think there's there's probably nothing more triggering right now for X-Men fans than the sight of a large home <laughs> for wayward youths. Uh, my idea, which had a shocking amount of support, is just put the mansion on a racco. If the mansion's on a racco, I think I'm good. I think I'm fine with that. Like, then to me, that's a little have your cake and eat it too. I don't mind the concept of schooling. What the mansion symbolizes, symbolizes, no, symbolizes, is a return to the familiar. That's why people are worried about it. That's what people don't like. What it, what the mansion symbolizes, is back to basics regression, and moving away from everything that was developed. The actual structure is not the problem. Just put that school on a racco. And now we have something that was developed during this era, continuing the legacy, giving us potential for new stories, merge the cultures of earthbound Krakoan mutants and young Arakan students. You could do so many cool things with that. That was that to me, that is the only way I want to see a return to the mansion. You know? Um, we will see what we get but it but it is the the gillen and ewing news for some reason that was the thing that that really hit home for me like oh no like this is this is over this is done in you know six to seven months <clears throat> i guess i didn't totally see that coming what are we going to talk about <laughs> Will we find anything? We'll see. We'll see. We may we may need to find maybe like in six months. Like I don't know. Like what? Like like is Bat? Can Batman get really good in six months? Can we migrate? We need so we need something popular that can draw the kids in, but that is also good and doing well. What is that franchise right now? I don't know. Maybe it could be Superman next year. They got Jason Aaron coming in. They got they got some ideas over there, maybe. But the Philip Kennedy Johnson era is ending. People are high on that. I'm 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 gonna sit down and read that soon. I'm excited to check that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's it gonna be? What's gonna be big in 2024? Maybe we start talking Pokemon. I've got a lot of Pokemon knowledge for my kids now. We could just do, we could do Pokey stuff. We do that all day. We shall see. Okay. Is that all the news? Okay, let's also, I'm going to address two Iceman things real quick. Stop. Chris says Alpha Flight. Stop it. Stop it. How do I ban people from this? Might have to, might have to learn this technique. How dare you? How dare you? Nobody except me says better start covering Jiu-Jitsu Kaizen. 
I mean, I don't even know. Is that a, is that a manga style? Is that something? Uh, Jordan asks, what franchise can move to an island? The Inhumans are always available for island work. Um, you could have a Hulk island. Seems very plausible. Uh, who else would do well on an island? Um, you could you could do like like Gotham Island. Like what? Like what if Arkham? I mean, isn't Arkham already like kind of on an island? You know, Arkham Island. You telling me you wouldn't play Arkham Island? Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. What did I skip? I skipped something. Oh man, forgetting the games already. Um, either way, Arkham Island. Let's get Arkham Island going. I can just stream that. I don't know. Would y'all watch me play Spider-Man 2? Maybe I'll finally have time in seven months. I could stream playing Spider-Man 2 and talk about uh, my life. <laughs> I was getting sadder and sadder all the time. A Berserk podcast. I'll probably still, I will still be reading Berserk for sure in 14 months. We'll have to, or in seven months. We'll have to, um, I'm on volume 14. That's why 14 popped in my head. We'll have to put up an explicit rating if we're talking Berserk because I've seen a lot of penises. I've seen a lot of boobs lately. Only through Berserk. It's the only place I get that. <laughs> Maybe that. Wonder Woman. Man, I listen, Tom King and, and Daniel uh, Semperi would, would really have to be firing on all cylinders to get to, uh, to, get to a Wonder Woman cast. It's just hard to imagine, which is unfair. It's hard to imagine Wonder Woman, like, taking comics by storm in that way. Which is unfair to the character, but, like, it's just it's hard to imagine. Uh, I'm seeing Chainsaw Man recommendations. I am caught up on Chainsaw Man. It is, like, the only manga I'm caught up on. Um, man, Fujimoto's style and drawing is just, like, out of this world. Uh, it is, you know the thing I love the most about the, the last, like, three volumes of Chainsaw Man? It is so unafraid to get so flipping weird. <laughs> like, like, you know, you'd think, because a lot of times stuff that's super popular can kind of, it can feel super watered down or like it's placating an audience base. Like Chainsaw Man is weird. It makes strange choices. I love that about it. Like there, there is some bizarre stuff happening in that comic and uh, it just, the energy and action it has. You know, I, I said... A few weeks back, every superhero editor should have a have a what would Chainsaw Man do reminder on their computer. Like truly, just like in terms of the action and the beats and the Chainsaw Man riding shark demons. Like like that energy should be in everything. Uh, okay. Okay. Vass asks, what happens to Kraken Krakoa after the Krakoan era ends? I mean, the good thing here is I really no longer do the work of Kraken Krakoa. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't really posted a Kraken Krakoa video this year. I've done a few of guides, so frankly, that's easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll have to think of some new branding for sure. Uh, I mean, this is this has partly been in motion on my end for a long time, right? Like, I don't want to be, and I've said this plenty of times. Like, I don't want to be a person uh, who is known for like one franchise or one property. That's not where my interests lie. Um, that's not the type of reader I am. Like, like, here's the thing. Like, when X-Men, if it relaunches, and, you know, it pretty quickly is clear that, like, oh, this this doesn't have any juice. I'm not into this concept. Um, feels like we're back to the X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold days. 
I will not read X-Men. Like, like that is a choice I am very comfortable making. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, it really does speak to the power of House and Powers that I'm still reading as much X-Men as I am. Like, that that was so good that it got me out here reading Astonishing Iceman number three, even though I know damn well that book is not clicking for me. I know damn well. <laughs> and I'm still reading it, right? But yeah, we'll have to think of another, another, um, oh, Jesus, some more alliteration for, for whatever's big. You're all going to have to help me because I'm not keeping track of what's big in the world of comics. No, thank you. You all have to help me. Banging Batman? No implications with that, right? Just like banging out thoughts on Batman. Um, snuggling soups. Just like snuggling up to some Superman thoughts. What else? What else could we do? Nope, can't say that out loud. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. So the two Iceman thoughts. Uh, number one. Somewhere on YouTube, someone suggested that X-Men comic sales have gone down ever since Iceman came out as gay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so some bigoted lunatic is suggesting this in a comment somewhere on one of my videos, um, which is why I don't read all the comments on the videos. I try to read the good ones that those of you who are here live leave, but like, good grief, people are lunatics. Um, but this one, like, okay. Let's just for a second think about what they're saying. One, the idea that Iceman is so vital to Marvel Comics and X-Men Comics that their sexual orientation would drive or undermine the success of the entire line. Okay? Does that seem true? And then, of course, the, the second piece to this would be Brian Michael Bendis wrote an all-new X-Men story where a young Bobby Drake was outed as gay by Jean Grey, very uncomfortably. But that was circa, what, 2014? Maybe 2015? When was House of X and Powers of Ten? That was 2019. X-Men comics sales did not continue to decline. After that fact, just like, listen, just if you're going to be a bigot, at least like, at least be like a, a, a data oriented bigot. <laughs> Isn't that the least we can ask of you is to put some thought into your bigotry? No, can't even do that. Another thing I saw that is significantly less bigoted or upsetting. It is neither of those things. Um, is someone saying... And this was because I, I was on, so again, I told you I was breaking all this news for Pop First, so I, I was spending way too much time on Twitter this weekend, which was not good for anyone. And uh, speaking of just insane things I saw, I saw someone suggest that because Gillen and Ewing are leaving, that the only individual left to be the head of X is going to be Steve Orlando. <laughs> now listen, I like Steve. Steve seems great. I've had him on uh, to interview, talk about some of his comics, Kill a Man book we got to talk about uh midnighter excellent stuff i really one of his wonder woman comics one of my favorite wonder woman comics of all time um good creator on works out there 
X-Men stuff hasn't been clicking for me. I've been I've been disappointed on that front, okay? And I've been asked about that. But uh but the idea that Steve Orlando would be the only creator left to be the head of X. Like like, like what? What are you talking about? Like that's a leap. That is a significant leap. I mean, even just in the pecking order of creators on X-Men right now. I mean, you know, like Jerry Duggan is certainly in position to to kind of drive a lot of the action. Uh, maybe they're leaving too, which would make sense, actually. Um, but just like the idea that like Tom Brevoort doesn't have like a Rolodex full of every comics creator in the world. <laughs> like they will bring in big names for the relaunched X-Men. You know, there's, there's so much doom and gloom around going back to the mansion and uh, and like, you know, oh, the Krakoyer is ending. It's going to be over. Like, like Tom Brevoort isn't putting out calls to James Tiny in the fourth to write Uncanny X-Men. You don't think that's happening? You don't think Brevoort's out here saying, uh, uh, hey, Jonathan, do you want to come back for Uncanny X-Men? I mean, that one's not happening. You know, hey, Tom King, are you busy? Like, like they're making calls. Come on. Like, come on. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. And then speaking of, somebody here in the comments says, Steve Scarlet Witch Run is great. That may well be true. It is also getting canceled and dying an early death and getting relegated to Marvel's favorite tactic of pushing it to a miniseries, which is going to be Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver at the start of 2024. So, I mean, just the idea that the head of X, the new head of X, is an individual who is on a book that Marvel is canceling, those are incompatible thoughts. Those definitely do not go together. Um, so, anyway, I'm seeing a question here from Camillo. What is your dream X-Men creators lineup? Oh, I do I do really like that James Townie in the fourth on Uncanny idea. I mean, if there's anything that would get me, and, and a lot of readers, very quickly jazzed about whatever Brevoort's got cooking up from an editorial vision, it would be Tinyan. I mean, I don't think Tinyan's ever done Marvel stuff. Um, I think with with the move off of Batman to Substack, you know, there was definitely a suggestion of like, I'm not going to do, you know, superhero stuff anymore. But they've they've still kind of done like they've done some Sandman universe stuff with Corinthian, and um, I think you know that DC vs. Vampire stuff. I, it feels not crazy likely, but then I do also wonder about for the Substack creators, like how long, how long is it actually going to be until Substack is like, yeah, we're losing a lot of money. <laughs> like, like how long do they actually have here before Substack is like, hey, we gave y'all like half a million dollars to run these comics publishing arms. And uh, it turns out folks don't like reading comics through newsletters. Like, like that pin could drop any moment. So, and I'm not hoping it does as far as these creators getting paid. I think that's been the best thing about it. Um, but like, I, if I was planning long-term as one of them, I don't know, is that an opportunity you want to pass on? So I think that'd be super cool. I think Tiny in the Fourth on Uncanny X-Men, bring in any of his collaborators that he's worked on, any of his creator-owned stuff. Um, who else would be good? It's probably it. It's probably the only... Only one. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to make a list. I'd have to make a list to do it justice. Um, I mean, there's so many good comics creators out there. Like, there's so many individuals that if given the runway, if given 
like I just like we just had a Twitter thing. I just retweeted. Um, Steve Orlando was answering questions about their work on on at Marvel, and one of the questions was from the very very good um, X of Words podcast, which uh, which <laughs> by the way, if you start a podcast, uh, highly recommend against using a pun for that the event date du jour of the moment. Now X of Words is pretty good. It still works. It's a play on X of Swords and it still makes me chuckle. But like now here we are, you know, three years out from Ten of Swords and it's like, <laughs> like I kind of wish, I bet you maybe wish you had chosen a different name. Um, but they asked him a question like, what would you, what would you do with Iceman if you could do anything? And he was like, I would have Bobby become a planet where he hosts mutant refugees. That's an awesome idea. That sounds so much cooler than what's happening in Astonishing Iceman right now. I would read Planet Iceman tomorrow. I'd pay $9.99 for that puppy. No questions asked. Planet Iceman sounds amazing. And that's where it's like, okay, why is that wild idea and pitch not a comic? <laughs> you know? And not every crazy idea everyone has needs to be a comic necessarily. But like, it's like, that should be a book. That'd be awesome. Anyway, you have to give them the runway. You have to give them the right. I've seen Randall say Dennis Camp on literally anything. Yes. I mean, goodness, if you're learning anything from Children of the Vaults, Dennis Camp. I'm seeing Jen McKay. That seems likely. Given Brevoort's work with McKay currently, um, that'll be exciting as well. I think McKay will be good at it. I mean, the thing I, the thing I most want to see from Marvel going forward is kind of what they did with that Ultimate X-Men announcement with Peach Momoko, where it's like, this is someone who's going to bring fresh perspective who's going, who fits outside of the, the box of creators that get named every time these things come up, you know, like, like DC and Marvel kind of perpetually have these like mildly shifting boxes of these are their creators, right? So like for Marvel right now, for the last couple of years, it's been like, who can write a Marvel book? It's like Hickman, Gillen, Ewing, McKay, um, Steve Orlando, you know, and you kind of just have a base of like, these are the people who they give books to. Kelly Thompson for a minute on Captain Marvel, you know, Saladin Ahmed. Um, and it's just like that shifts over time. But what I would like to see is the one cool thing that's happened, and they've done this more on X-Men Unlimited than anywhere else, but bringing in, you know, Steve Fox, bringing in Stephanie Williams, bringing in uh, Dennis Camp on Children of the Vault, bringing in Victor Laval on Sabretooth. The more left-field choices that are less familiar to superhero readers um, from folks who have done cool work elsewhere, you know, maybe more indie stuff, maybe more create-your-own work, like, that's what X-Men needs to excel. It doesn't need somebody who's had 75 at-bats on superheroes before. I'm seeing Jordan here say, say Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder's great. Scott Snyder's Batman was awesome. A Scott Snyder X-Men feels, I don't know, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, actually, <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, I'm not super excited about that. And I say that as a huge fan of Snyder's Batman, of DC Metal, but I could become one. I could be sold on that as it developed. Uh, that's an interesting choice. I have to I have to do an about face on that immediately as I say it aloud. Uh, Chris says, Uncanny X-Men written by Al, not A.I. I will not even 
I will not even accept that you've written a.i. I merely read that as Al. Al can write uncanny X-Men whenever he wants. Okay, no more casting. No more casting. Gotta sit down and think about that stuff. Um, the point is, give me, give me somebody unexpected. Speaking of unexpected, you know the book that we all thought Moira McTaggart would be in? <laughs> it's X-Men Unlimited. What is happening with, with the past, like, year's weirdness from Marvel about their most interesting characters? Within Orcus, you have evil robot Moira, the artist formerly known as the most interesting character in the entire House of Power saga, and you have time-traveling Karima Shapinder. And both of them are relegated to miniseries and X-Men Unlimited stories. These are your two most interesting characters, or they were. What are you... Why? <laughs> it hurts my soul. It does. Just, like, bizarre decision-making. Remember for the first, I mean, two years... Straight up two years post House and Powers, Hickman wouldn't put Marvel or uh, Moira in anything. We literally did not see her. The mystery was so overdone, but at least it was a commitment. There was a real commitment to not showing us anything. And now, how are you going to find Moira? Oh, you're going to find her doing evil robot things in the pages of X-Men Unlimited. What a drop. Oh, man. What a drop. It's like watching Jordan on the Wizards. Actually, he was still pretty good on the Wizards. That's a bad analogy. The only time I saw Michael Jordan as a kid growing up near Chicago was as a Washington Wizard against the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee. Make that make sense. The world doesn't make sense sometimes. <laughs> These things happen. Uh, all right. That's number one thing that hurts my soul, thing that gives it a bomb. Thing that gives it a balm. Children of the Vault. This book rules. Have I said that this book rules today? It does. It's really flipping good. Uh, okay, the big question in Children of the Vault, and this is mildly spoilery, but not really. The big question that gets addressed here is from Serafina, who's a member of the Children of the Vault. And she gets a vision or something of the Dominion. One of the members of the Children of the Vault is learning about Dominion and is saying some pretty tantalizing things that, you know, basically to the effect of it seems like this is a war between the children and humanity and mutant kind, but actually there is a dominion pulling the strings of all of this and that none of them, you know, it's, it's, it's like she's seen the face of God, like, and it's like, you know, like seeing the full universe for the first time. Johnny Storm and the Galactus Saga. Ants. We're just ants. It's kind of the reactions he has. But what this did to me was it re reframed the who is the Dominion question as kind of the central question of Gillen and Silva's upcoming Rise of the Powers of Ten. I mean, I think that is the central question, is who is the Dominion, what is their game, and how do you end a saga when you have someone outside space and time controlling everything? <clears throat> Those are kind of the only questions that matter. All this uh, earthly stuff, 
with, you know, Orcus imparting their will on Earth and, you know, offing all these mutants and destroying Krakoa. All that stuff's kind of just fluff until we get to who is the Dominion and what does that mean? Um, Now, the prevailing theories previously were like, okay, one of the Sinisters got to Dominion status first. That might still be true. And, it, and, it, and, you know, I think it's important to consider, too, like, that could be a sinister from one of Moira's 10 lifelines. That could be the sinister from the Apocalypse lifeline in, in you know, um, life number nine. Maybe that sinister survived and ultimately made it to Dominion. It's a possibility. It's mildly interesting. Uh, I am kind of increasingly uninterested in the Dominion being a Sinister. It kind of feels like a cop-out after the Sins of Sinister event, which did the important work of teasing what if a Sinister became the Dominion. But I kind of think the best answer is that the someone who's already there is not a Sinister and should be one of the most central players in the Krakoa era. You know, you can't have the Dominion be a side a side piece. I'm seeing Chris say dupe is the Dominion. That would be, that would actually be pretty genuinely funny. <laughs> if, it's, <laughs> if it's just dupe slapping the base and, and that's how things end. That's how the entire Krakoa saga ends. It's like, ah, oh, it was dupe. It's the end. <laughs> no, but like, I, I really think it has to be someone central and I don't think, I don't know that Sinister, is Sinister that central anymore? Kind of now that we have the big Sins of Sinister event? They kind of are and they kind of aren't. But I mean, really, the players, if you're doing central to the Krakoa era, are Charlie Ballgame, Mag's Daddy, Moira Axe, maybe Emma, and... Apocalypse? Does anyone else make that list? Krakoa themselves, or Okaro, or whatever, and uh, and Doug Ramsey are maybe on the board. Destiny and Mystique maybe on the board. Maybe the Council heavy hitters, you know? I don't know that anyone outside that, the only one outside that that I can think would make some sense would be Jean Grey. Because we we did learn in one of those powers data pages that the, the Dominion is is fearful of a Phoenix and Galactus. I think we're the only two things. And Jean is clearly poised for a big return, a big role. I think Phoenix is coming back for sure. Could you have a Jean Phoenix Dominion? It, it doesn't quite jive with the early days stuff where Gene was not that essential. I'm seeing a couple suggestions here of Legion, which does also make a lot of sense because Legion, I mean, where is Legion right now? They have kind of just like vanished into the astral plane ether. Um, that would kind of work. And that would also give you a character who is most likely to look at the state of things and be like, 
Let me magically recast this reality so you can try again. Tom Brevoort and X-Men. Like, that That kind of seems like a thing Legion would do. Um, Open Mike Eagle says, Interesting, too, is that Dominions are outside of time. So whoever is the Dominion, they've been the Dominion during this entire era. And not only this era, but all of Moira's previous lives. Because that's the craziness of the way they've set up the Dominion, is once you become Dominion, you've always been Dominion. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> but that's what they've said. Uh, thank you, Base God. Asked, did I miss something today? Does Dominion have to be someone we know per a comic today? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, we're just theorizing. I think it would be bananas to get to the end of this and to see that Dominion was a total stranger. <laughs> that would be wild. Um, like if it was just like the Beyonder and he was like, gotcha. And, and we're, I'm talking Lawrence Fishburne's Beyonder from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the animated series on Disney Plus, not Jerry Curl 80's Beyonder. Just to be clear, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of suggestions in here. None better than Legion, <laughs> I got to say. Doug Minion is pretty good. Downtown Clowning Brown. No prize to you for that. Now I'm now I'm rooting for Doug, purely so we can call it the Doug Minion. Because Krico and Doug are up to something. We don't know what. Oh, JJ, with the thought here, X-Man is Dominion. We have not seen Age of Apocalypse Nate Gray this entire era. Is it because he's been Dominion this whole time? Ooh, that's good. That's good. So is Banksy's suggestion, Dr. Dominion. Love it. Problem with Dr. Dominion is you need you need someone there who's going to be willing to allow for the reset. And Doom would never willingly give up that power, although he will self-sabotage so that... That's also a little too similar to Secret Wars. Um, but I do like the pun. <laughs> I do appreciate the pun. Nate Gray's... That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Vast, get out of here with that Michael Malloy nonsense. Stop it. Stop it, you Michael Malloy nuts. Seen <laughs> a wreck for Absalom McCater. Uh, that'd be bananas. That would be wild, for sure. Okay, so we got Legion. We got Nate Gray. Moira's still got... All right, let's 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 put some odds. I'm going to put a, sinist, a Sinister at 2-1. to one. Still the betting favorite. But again, like, if it's Mother Righteous, I'm not that into Mother Righteous. You know? Like, if you're going to do a Sinister... It has to be the OG Sinister from one of the lifelines. It can't be Mother Righteous. It can't be Dr. Stasis. It can't be Orvis Stellaris. They aren't that interesting. I like them as side players. They can't be the Emperor behind the curtain. Uh, James says the Dominion is Taylor Swift. That's act, You know, that's not a bad guess. Because Taylor's in control of everything. She's controlling the film's that my in-laws are seeing. She's controlling my fantasy football team ebbs and flows now on how well Travis is feeling 
week to week. She controls my own head lately. I've been singing The Man from Cruel Summer. No, Cruel Summer's a song on there. What's that album called? Is the album also Cruel Summer? The pop one, maybe after 1989? You know, it's pretty crazy that George Orwell stole a Taylor Swift album title for his book. It's pretty wild when you think about it that he got away with that. But yeah, Taylor's doing well. Taylor's doing really well. Okay, a lot of suggestions for the Dominion here. <laughs> Jordan says, Wolfsbane Weird's Baby. Wolf's... <laughs> Wolfsbane's Weird Baby. That would be an outside... outside. That's We're going to set the line at, at Wolfsbane's Weird Baby at 666 to 1. Okay, so that's that's the end. That Those are the highest. Now, listen, all you have to do is put down 100, and you get, I don't know how betting works, but you get like 66,600 on that one. That Those are pretty good odds. Um, okay, so we're, we got 2 to 1 at A Sinister. We're going to go 5 to 1 at Amoira. We're going to go 10 to 1, both Legion and Nate Gray. 15 to 1. Nimrod, 20 to 1, Professor Charles and Magneto's Onslaught Fusion. Okay, those are the odds right now. Place your bets, and uh, I look forward to seeing them on our sponsor, um, BigWater.com. Okay, final thing. What's good? Blame. It's a manga. It's by Sutomu Nihai. Correct me, please. For correct pronunciation. Start reading this this week because Hoopla Comics, <clears throat> which is a library app that I love, uh, now has, what is it, Kadanchu uh, comics available. This includes uh, seemingly all of Nihai's work, this and Knights of Sidonia. Uh, I had not read this, but I have it on my to-read list, so I saw this became available on Hoopla. I was like, let's do it. It is a mostly wordless sort of cyberpunk punk, uh, post-alien invasion virus kind of thing. It's got big Halo energy, but before Halo came out, um, it is incredibly readable. It looks amazing. Um, the, the city designs and the pipework are <laughs> so good. Huge pipework guy. And uh, Blame is a, a very captivating read. I did not, it, it, like 200 pages in, I was like, I don't, I'm not that invested. And now I'm like 300 in, and I'm like, I think I'm going to read all this. Uh, so I've been enjoying Blame. I also enjoyed What's Wrong with Secretary Kim, Volume 1. I saw this recommended through one of my several recommendation engines that I trust. And uh, I did not expect to enjoy it, frankly. I thought, oh, this will probably be one of those romance mangas that is, you know, sweet, but ultimately a bit hollow narratively. Uh, it was a very good time. It's very good. It's not as funny as Kaguya-sama, um, but it has kind of a similar energy to it. There's some really clever, um, like, use of sound effects and, and narrative caption and just inventiveness of the form. I had a very good time with What's Wrong with Secretary Kim. I'm excited to read a volume two. I did not think that would be the case, but here we are. The other read that I've been reading this week is Palestine by Joe Sacco. 
for probably obvious regions, uh, regions, uh, reasons, because of the regions that all these horrors and atrocities are taking place in. I've been wanting to read more of Joe Sacco's work for a while now. Um, if you're not familiar, and I'm not super familiar either until recently, uh, Sacco has done these like comics journalism works essentially. Like he goes and lives in and explores territories, you know, outside of America, um, being an American journalist and learns about them and then covers them in comics. Uh, so uh, Palestine is doing that in late 91 and early 92. Uh, and then this this was collected circa like 2001. And it is, um, it's insightful. It is, it is revealing. At times it is horrifying because so little has changed. Um, but it does give you insight into the fact that there is a people of Palestine and there is a humanity there. And I think trying to find the humanity at the heart of all the awfulness going on right now is um, is critical, I think, to all of us. So that's what's good this week. Three comics. Get in your final thoughts and questions. And I want to answer a couple of them. We're over time. We are well over time. This is frankly unacceptable. Um, but I'll answer a couple more questions. Okay. Banksy says, Dave has been heavy in his manga bag lately. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, it's. I think what is happening is that feels like the area of comics that I, I have the least knowledge of and that is kind of the most exciting to me is to, like it feels, it has a, a similar feel to like getting into superhero comics for the first time where it's like, I don't know what most of this stuff is. And I can, I, I love having that sense of curiosity and exploration and of obsession with comics. Um, and manga is kind of offering that to me right now. So I'm, I'm very much enjoying that. Uh, Cousin Marcus asks, what is Mrs. CBH's favorite dinner spot? <laughs> that is an interesting question. Um, favorite dinner spot. That's actually really hard to answer. I should be able to, clearly that's a problem for me that I can't answer that very quickly. Now I'm just thinking of things I like too. Well, I guess, okay, here's the thing is that's kind of a trick question because her favorite dinner spot is breakfast. She would rather go to a good breakfast than a good dinner. Um, so trick question, you tried to get me, but you can't get this wife guy. Good try. Uh, final question. JJ Tiffany asks, would you be upset if the beard was traded to the bulls? Yes. Oh, horribly. Oh, horribly upset. Um, that would make the season kind of interesting, but that would absolutely be devastating. Although here's the thing about the bulls. We don't really have much of a chance anyway, you know, beyond being a middle of the pack, maybe playing team. So maybe we just like, it's not like our future is that bright anyway. So what I just trained the entertainment value of James Harden on the team and, you know, him tanking in a year and a half and asking out anyway, I, maybe actually it doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us good. Um, my initial reaction is no way, but now I'm kind of like, you know what? That would actually give me potentially reasons to watch the games. Potentially. All right. Good questions, everyone. Thanks for joining. Appreciate y'all being here. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. Um, please like, subscribe. Oh, you know what? I did have a question 
Uh, somebody's been asking about uh, why these haven't been going up as podcasts. Um, it's I just haven't really wanted to do that. <laughs> I usually have somebody help me with that, and they've been busy, and I just have not taken the time. So it is not, uh, it is not for any good reason. That is a thing that will resume, hopefully, in the near future. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>